Hello, I'm Jeff Johnston. Welcome to the Living Undeterred podcast. I have an awesome guest today. I'm super excited uh, to speak with him about a lot of things. Um, he has a very good background in uh, the financial business, which we're going to spend some time talking about investments and financial planning and investing versus gambling. And his niche is the millennial uh, generation. So with that, I'm going to, and I do apologize in advance here if I hack this up. I've been rehearsing prior to the show, but it's um, Yavitsa Georgievich. Perfect. I got yeah. it right? Yeah, All right. Good. We don't, we don't have really to edit job. this or any. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Um, great. And you explained to me what that means in, in Serbian. So uh, help my listeners understand or my followers what that, uh, what your name actually means when you converted it over to say, um, you know, when I, when I transliterated it. There you go. Um, yeah, so I'll, I'll give it a 10,000 foot view of, of my background and who I am. So again, Javitsa Djurjevic, which uh, I promise is a real name. Um, <laughs> I, was, I was telling you earlier that my, uh, my parents actually used to make fun of people who gave their kids creative names. Uh, they, they were like stupid hippies. So they gave me one of the most like basic pumpkin spice latte Serbian names ever, which is Javitsa is Johnny. It's the equivalent of it. Uh, and Djurjevic means son of like George son. Um, so it's like the most basic name ever, and they never thought we'd end up out of what was Yugoslavia at the time. And then in the 90s, wars happened, and we ended up being refugees. And we came to the States when I was 10, and they were like, cool, just in time for middle school. Nice and awkward, kid. You'll uh, you'll figure it out. <laughs> so so it's, uh, it, 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 was, it was interesting. It was, um, you know, like I said, we came to the States when I was 10. We lived in the projects in North Memphis uh, in the ghetto which uh, is kind of how refugees get, get placed all across the country. My parents worked really yeah. hard, um, built a wonderful life for themselves, educated myself and my sister. I went to college in Knoxville at the University of Tennessee. Mm -hmm. Graduated from that, got into the financial world, particularly financial advising, spent a decade in that, left that last year, went into the employee benefits space, um, live in Nashville with my wife, Tamara, and uh, our dog Harlem. And uh, yeah, just... Loving life. I, I started a, the way you and I actually got connected is I started yeah. a podcast called Millennial Manhood three right. years ago, and uh, it's uh, 111 episodes deep at this point, and it's been one of the most satisfying passion projects I've ever done. So that's the well, you do a super job. Foot view. You Appreciate do a great it. job. I've, I've watched a number of your shows and kind of got I I went into it to do my vetting process, mm. you know, as you did as you did with me to be on on your show and. Uh, as I got into it, I kind of forgot I was actually researching you because I was so interested in your conversations. <laughs> you know, I'm like two shows into it going, this guy's got a really good podcast. So, you know, I'm I'm very new into the podcast world and uh, basically just started even the Living Undeterred uh, project or mindset uh, in um, January. So mm -hmm. I'm a real newbie, but man, I've run into a lot of people like you and um, other people that have some very successful podcasts out there. And um, I would put yours up there with the flow, the content, your, the way you direct it, you know, stuff that I'm trying to learn from, you know, as a newbie. Um, but what would you think would be the primary reason I drug you on the Living Undeterred podcast? And by the way, this is the same question you asked me when I was on, on the Millennial Manhood show. Um, mm. Why do you think that I wanted to have you talk to uh, my followers about living undeterred. Wow. That's a good question. Oh, who, why? I've had you have a lot of time. Life. Yeah, yeah, I know I've you do. Had a, 
I've had an interesting life, that's for sure. Um, you know, we've talked about this a little bit in, in my household in particular. I was the oldest son, oldest, oldest kid in general. And come to, so we lived as refugees in Germany for seven years. And, and basically, for folks hmm. who don't know, in, in Yugoslavia is the country where I was born. It doesn't exist anymore, uh, particularly Bosnia, uh, northeastern Bosnia on the, on the border with Croatia. And uh, during the 90s, Yugoslavia fell apart into a really, really, really bloody civil war. Uh, horrible. Really, mm -hmm. really just very disturbing. And uh, my dad was not down with that. He, um, mm. uh, my dad's somebody I respect a lot. My dad has been an incredible influence on me. A fantastic father. Uh, not without his flaws, but mm -hmm. and a fantastic father. Um, if I can be half the, as good of a dad as he was, I'd, I'd be incredibly happy. But my dad, uh, yeah, my dad forged some, had some paperwork forged and then snuck out of the country and hitchhiked wow. 24 hours to Germany, ended up in Germany, started working construction the next day to save up enough money to get my mom, myself and my grandma out. My grandfather stayed behind. He was conscripted into the military where he was almost killed. And then my dad snuck him out about eight months later. Um, we How old was your dad this other, time? 31. Okay. Wow. So, yeah. So, um, yeah, we, we lived in Germany for seven years, the first several years on the good grace of other people, uh, in basements and trailers, save up. Do you remember a lot of it? Some of it. Yeah. I remember, yeah. I remember playing cards in the trailer with my grandpa, um, hmm. and scratching lottery tickets for fun. Uh, the problem was, you know, when you're a refugee, nobody will give you an apartment. You right. can't sign a lease. You know, you can get kicked out tomorrow. Right. So my parents have, you know, my dad tells me, he's like, I had tens of thousands of marks, which was the the, the currency in Germany, like in in cash, but I can't get anybody to freaking, you know, let me live somewhere until uh, my dad's boss actually signed the lease on our first place because he was a very well-respected member of that community. Yeah. Uh, a, lo a local German man. So we lived there for seven years. I go to kindergarten through fourth grade in, in Germany. And then the German government kicks all refugees out, says, we don't give a shit where you go, but you got it. Sorry if I can't cuss on your podcast. Um, no, you, no, no, you, you're, it's highly encouraged that you cuss on my podcast. Oh, okay. Well, the German <laughs> government said, we don't give a shit where you go. You just got to get the hell out of here. Yeah. So my parents said, well, we don't really want to go back to Bosnia because there's no future for our children there. Mm -hmm. So, um, we applied everywhere, the United States, Canada, South Africa, Australia, New Zealand. And, and honestly, the purpose of all the interviews, my mom and dad wanted to fail all of them. The, the German government couldn't kick you out as long as you were applying for places. Oh, so they wanted gotcha. to keep failing them until they kicked out everybody. And then they were just going to let like the remainder stay. The so problem they wanted to was, stay in Germany. Yeah, they had no interest. I mean, right. you don't want to start your life over again at 40. Um, mm -hmm. Start a new language. They didn't, none of us spoke English. None of us knew anything about American culture besides what we saw on TV. Wow. So, um, you know, to me, America was Eddie Murphy and, and the Lion King. Um, so, so. And it's problem, still not that, huh? Yeah, right. The, the, but the problem with that plan was we got accepted by every single interview. We were like oh, did you really? Candidates. Did you really? Yeah. Yeah, we just kept get, getting them over and over. And my mom and dad were like, shit. <laughs> We have to go now. So <laughs> not another so, one. <laughs> yeah. So uh, so That's their funny. reasoning was, well, the the United States is at the top. So if I'm going to go somewhere and fail, potentially, I might as well fail at the damn top. So let's go to America. So that's how we, yeah. we ended up in America. So 
that's probably why you asked me to come on the podcast. It's been one hell of a hell of a ride. And that's funny because um, it's what half what happens after all that is what I know mostly about you. Um, yeah, you know, your, our conversation we had on the phone, and then uh, the chance to be on, on your awesome uh, podcast, and um, and so you know, so you were you were ten, you said, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So how long did it take you to settle into the culture? Oh, as a ten year old, I was fluent in four months. I got kicked out of ESL. So, wow. Yeah, I was. <clears throat> It's funny. It's really interesting. I've talked to a lot of people about this. Um, so we, we got placed in Memphis and North Memphis in particular. Um, but I, I mean, I was one of like two white kids in my whole school and I don't speak English. Everybody else was either yeah. African-American, which was the overwhelming majority Hispanic or Asian. So my first interaction really with American culture was, was black American culture. Sure. Um, yeah. And that was the first cult. That's the culture I learned English. in. that was the first culture that accepted me. Um, interesting. It was really interesting once we moved out of that part of town and we moved into the suburbs um, and I started going to a predominantly white school. I realized like, oh, there's like different levels of America. Yeah. Um, so it's been always interesting. A lot of people that I've talked to that know me personally say one of my superpowers is being able to be a chameleon in different communities. Hmm. Um, well, you have just to be sometimes of, probably. Yeah, you just get it's exposed to it. Survival. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and you just learn um, about different – it's helped me amplify different aspects of my personality over the years um, to connect with people more easily, for sure. So for your parents, was America what they envisioned? Um, in a lot of ways, it was better. My dad's a smart guy. He wasn't – he didn't think America was Hollywood. Yeah. Um. America's afforded them a lot of opportunities that they, for example, did not have in Germany. Mm-hmm. Um, I know for a fact that they miss being amongst their own culture. I bet. But they're very happy that we came to America because, again, of the opportunities that I've provided for myself and my sister, for sure. Hmm. Did your sister because, adapt as quickly as you did? Yeah, she was five. I mean, you might as well. Oh, have, yeah, that's true. Know, she, she was born in Germany. But I remember right. vividly, I've talked about this on my podcast before, I remember vividly my dad sat me down when we came to America and he said, hey, look, kid, um, I've done everything and sacrificed everything along with your mom to get you here. No one cares about us. I'm, my, I mean, my dad was working for seven twenty-five an hour. Yeah. He's a grown man with a family. Um, he said, no one cares about us. It's up to you and what you do that's going to dictate the next 10 generations of our family. Don't fuck this up. Absolutely. Um, that's very interesting that you said that because I use that phrase. Don't I use this phrase in my book where I say to myself when I had to tell my boys that their brother died was I had one chance to F this up. And that's mm-hmm. what I told myself. I have one. I had one chance. I'm not going to get a redo to have an opportunity to present this in a positive somehow find something good out of dying. I had to as a dad, you know, I had mm-hmm. to. Um, and, and you're in the same way as your dad said to you, you know, son, we're not going to get second chance. You know, you're here, you got one chance to F this up. And I, I think that's just a really interesting way to look at, um, challenges and opportunities in life, you know, mm, very much so. Yeah. Because very you can use that. So. You can use that thought process in about anything, you know? Yeah. It, it kept me out of trouble for sure. Right. I, um, was a popular kid in school. I mean, I wasn't like the the star quarterback, but I had 
plenty of friends. People knew who I like. I was. I enjoyed high school. I, I, I really enjoyed college. I, but um, I didn't. For example, I didn't drink in high school. Not not because um, I had some objection to it per se. I just thought it was stupid. Yeah. Like it just didn't make sense to me. I was like, why would I do this? This doesn't make any sense. There's you nothing go to good that can come out. I went to the University of Tennessee. So I did okay. I did have a good time at college. Um, I was just gonna transition. I, still, I was gonna transition into that. At some point you probably enjoyed the American beverage or two, you know. Yeah, but it was a different environment. I could walk from the bar to my apartment. Right. I did the right. the risks were completely different. Right. Whereas, okay, we're in a field in the middle of nowhere in Memphis and we're gonna drink out of this keg and then I'm gonna drive home. That sounds really dumb. Right. Right. You know, it was just a, it was a, again, it wasn't an inherent, like, I don't like drinking. It was a, this just doesn't make sense right now. Yeah. Did you ever have a problem with alcohol? Mm -mm. I don't, I'm not a, I know you did, but I'm not a, like my, my vice, if I let, look, I don't have a problem with drinking. I don't have a problem with drugs. Um, I was pretty self-controlled around women. I was like the one thing that could get out of hand. If I let it, I love to gamble. You too, man. Yeah, I love the competition of gambling. If Me too. I have to go in with a budget, cash, that's it. Because I just lo- I'll sit at a blackjack t- blackjack table for six hours. You and I have so much in common, man. So much in common because I write in my book about and as a finance, you know, we're financial professionals. You and I mm-hmm. um, to confess that you have a gambling problem doesn't look good on a U four or a, no. you know as, as an outside business activity, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, but at this point in my career, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not as active seeing clients individually. Um, I have no problem talking about it because there's a lot of us out there that are wearing the mask of one thing, but underneath we're doing something different. But I was a functional gambler, hmm. probably like you were too. I mean, I wasn't like stealing from the business or, you know, cashing in my IRA or something. I mean, I, I, I gambled, maybe, maybe you weren't that way, but I, I never really gambled with money that I I didn't have, you know? No. And, and I never even, I, I never even got to having a problem. I was just very aware that it would become a problem if I let it. Sure. If that makes yep. sense. Um, yeah, it does. It does. When I turned 21, my dad took me to the casino, gave me a hundred bucks and made me blow it. Like I couldn't get up until it was all blown. And then he sat me down and he said, there are people who do this every single Friday when they get their paycheck and their kids go hungry. Your dad sounds like a very interesting man. Very interesting man. Uh, yeah, just my whole family is very interesting in a lot of ways, but my dad has always been, uh, very big on teaching lessons in a practical matter that, um, stuck. Since we opened up the gambling Pandora's box here, let's, let's talk about what I see as a problem in society today. And that's the, Mm -hmm. The inability of, and we'll, we'll say the millennials, because I, I have many, many conversations with millennials. And millennials are basically, what, 25 to 41, right? Correct. Okay. So that encompasses just kids just out of high, out of college. Yep. Um, I graduated college, I think, uh, what was I, 24 maybe, something like that. Um, and then having their first, you know, property, whether it's renting or owning, and then they're marriage and kids. So just that, that age. So people listening that don't know what the millennials are, um, this proliferation 
of <laughs> the ability to invest. Um, mm-hmm. And then the industries like, you know, the, the portals like Robinhood and where they're making it, you buy a stock and balloons go off or they have confetti coming down and they're really visually turning <laughs> it into a casino. And I don't think they do that anymore. Yeah. But, and I first saw that I was, I was just appalled. I was like, are you effing kidding me? I'm trying all my life here to teach the difference between gambling and investing and the wholesale difference between a gambler and an investor. If there's one word that defines the difference is time. Mm-hmm. That word encompasses the difference because a gambler has no time. Everything has to be right now. They have to win all the money. They have to make up for losses. They don't have any time. Whereas an investor, you can buy a 40-unit rental property and hold it for 20 years, and you're going to do quite well. And yep. But millennials don't look at it as investing that way. Now it's so equivalent to, I'm going to buy a stock, but hey, I'm going to bet on the Lakers tonight on my, on my gambling mm-hmm. site. You and I, I mean, I, I didn't grow up in that world. Hell, I couldn't even buy a stock. We didn't have cell phones. So, you know, I had to go call a broker or go talk to a stockbroker and buy a stock the old-fashioned way, you know. Mm-hmm. Do Order you see ticket this? Everything. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Do you see this as a, a an issue that the millennial generation needs to be aware of, I guess? Or do you think they are? Hmm. So that's an interesting thing because again, I spent nine years. I mean, I had, I guess I still technically have it. It's just not active. I had my 65. So I was a registered investment advisor. I mean, like yeah. fee for advising, fiduciary, all that. Um, but big, but I think it's the financial services industry's fault that this situation has happened the way it's happened. Primarily due to the fact that I think there are so many conflicts of interest that are slowly eroding. Mm-hmm. But there's so many conflicts of interest that financial advisors face to where they do not have the public trust. Yeah. Um, and 2008 and 2009 and then 2020, for example, did not help in that cause. Like, mm-hmm. okay, so um, let's talk about Wall Street and let's talk about the hedge funds, which is different than like a, like a Main Street advisor. But still, I mean, that's what people conflated with. Okay, so when you win, you privatize the gains, but then when you lose, you socialize the losses. Hmm. That's a problem. I don't trust you anymore. Hmm. Okay? Yeah. When you go yeah. out and make a good deal and make $60 billion or whatever, you keep it all to yourself. When you bet on mortgage-backed securities that are dog crap, and because you hmm. paid off the rating agencies to rate them as higher than they are, now you right. want a tax bailout. And, and the millennials that are a generation who graduated in 2009, roughly, and couldn't find a job. So why the hell would they go to a Merrill Lynch? Good point. So when Robin Hood comes around and says democratizing investing, yeah, it was a genius business model. It is a genius business model. And in a lot of ways, I'm for the competition. Now, I agree with you on the turning it into gambling, like taking your life savings of what your parents gave you or, or taking a HELOC on your house and putting it on, on GameStop. No, that's not a good idea. But many did. Yeah, but yeah. And, and now me personally, the only investing in the market that I do is I, I sell options. Yeah. But I also have learned from hedge fund managers who sell options for hedge funds directly. I've, you know, I've gone, I have calculated the risk and understand what I need to do. 
Right. Um, I'm a big believer in real estate, huge believer in real estate. I'm a big yeah. believer in holding on to precious metals. I'm, I'm, and, and I go out of my way to try to educate people and help them understand like, Hey, what do you, what can you get really good at? Now you can also, if you don't want to go down that route, do the, go down the approach that, that, that I worked with hundreds of families over a decade is let's create a diversified portfolio. That's not going to keep you up at night. That hopefully is going that. to. Yeah, that's going to create because some people can't handle right the perceived risk. It, it might not even right. be real risk. Like, and, and I'll give you this example. Let's say we're talking about a real estate property, right? Um, let's say the worst case scenario is what the market turns, the property goes down in value, and rents go down. Right. That's literally the worst case scenario. Okay. What's the best case scenario? Property value goes up, rents go up. Okay. Right. What are the odds of the worst case scenario happening versus the best case scenario happening versus something in the middle where it just slowly increases over time and you cover your debt obligation yeah. with the cash flow and have some extra money in your pocket? Yeah. Are they all equally likely? Right. No. No. You have to contextualize how much each risk from a probability standpoint. It's a possibility versus Correct. probability. Correct. Right. right. The most likely scenario is right. that middle, you know, the thick part right. of the bell curve. Right. But, but some people can't contextualize that and they can't handle that risk. It gives them all the anxiety in the world. Yeah. Like that's fine. You need, you need to work with a professional who's going to control your behavior. And that is where the industry is really getting good at. And that's behavioral finance. That's, that yeah, was the, where, the that's concept. where. Yeah, and Daniel Crosby now is probably the and he I actually he's in my book. Um, I I interviewed him for my book because um, I have this concept called financial hoarding, where I met many clients that basically were addicted to the, uh, the, the 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 quantity elements of money, not not the um, not the quality elements of it. Mm. So they were they were hoarding. And no different than you come in and see a, a hoarder's houses, and that's the way their their financial head is when it comes with money. Their, the relationship with money is very poor, just like a relationship mm. with alcohol for an alcoholic. So I wrote about this concept with financial hoarding because now that I'm I'm in the addiction world now because of my son and some of the issues I've had, that my calling is now more into that than it was setting up IRAs. I see a lot of similarities between people that I, I counseled as clients that basically had all the money in the world, but they hadn't flown cross country to see their grandkids because airline tickets were 300 bucks one way. Oh, the millionaire store like, crap. I'm like, dude, you just made a quarter million bucks in your portfolio this year. And you're upset about the $50 fee I charge or a hundred dollar IRA fee, but, and you won't go see your children. What the hell am I making you any money for? You're not, you're not mm -hmm. doing anything with it. And the average inheritance is spent in less than two years. So when you die, so is your money. So, yeah. you know, what, what are you hoarding for? And that's where I was really interested. And then all of a sudden my son dies and I lose interest in the business. And now I'm kind of doing this. But I was going to ask you, or I guess one thing that I found out um, when I was going through this struggling with um, dealing with questions people were asking me. We host a radio show here in Cedar Rapids. I think it's our 12th year of doing the Premier Investments of Iowa Financial Hour. It's every Tuesday night. It's a live call-in show. And we always get, you know, topic-specific questions. And a while back, we had gold. 
all the time. Mm -hmm. What do you think about gold? And these are setup questions, you know, because mm -hmm. they want me to answer so they can argue with me. So, yeah, yeah. you know, what do you, you what do you think about way. gold? And I said, I I love gold. I mm -hmm. I if I could have gold, I would I would have all of it. I love it. The question isn't what you should be asking me is what you think about gold. It's how much should gold represent as a percentage of my overall investment net worth. That's mm -hmm. the question. Yeah. So two callers call in and you both own 50,000 of gold. That doesn't tell me squat. Mm -hmm. If one portfolio is 2 million, the other one's 100,000. Well, one of you has got a big diversification problem. So I think, you know, I, I, I saw in your profile, you have money and stoicism, which again, makes me, you and me very, very, um, very similar because I, I love stoicism, uh, the concept mm -hmm. of reframing. So here is an opportunity where you and I as financial people are now as dads and we, we can reframe lots of things that are presented to us. And so when someone asks me, what do you think about Bitcoin? I reframe it back to them. Well, what percentage of it is, is your investment net, is investment net worth? And I never answer their question. Yeah. Because it's an unanswerable well, it also, question. What do I think about Bitcoin? I mean, seriously? Well, and it's also, you want to talk about stoicism and money, the concept of what even money is. What yeah. is money? Money right. is just a representation of value created in an economy. But what's the economy? Well, the economy is all the actions combined that all human beings in an environment take. Right. Like, I hate, I hate when people say, well, it's just the economy. You dumbass. That's literally you and I. <laughs> right. Right. Like in political arguments. I'm like, who kind of stupid, like, who says something this dumb? Um, so, yeah, money... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can, we can, I mean, I'll let you take See, a See, when you, you get to it. be my age, you don't have political arguments at all. <laughs> you just, I try to just avoid them at all costs. Oh, they're just, they're miserable. They're miserable. Well, and, and I, I am, I am so far out of the spectrum of what American politics is that I just don't have a home. Um, <laughs> That's right. You so, you are. <laughs> yeah. So like, I, like, I'll take those, uh, I'll take those tests and, you know, I'm just so all over the place. And, and what the part that sucks is like, you can take the test. Like I side with as a website, what people don't know is like in the top right corner, you can switch countries and I'm always like in every country, I'm in like some random ass non-existent party <laughs> to the side that has like 1% of the vote in parliament. And I'm like, I'm never going to be, I'm it's just cause I'm open to changing my, my views. Give me new evidence right. and I'll change my views. Right. Um, and, and I don't let somebody else decide for me what to think because they have an R or a D next to their name. Would you agree with the statistic I saw that the millennials are the most educated generation of all time, yet they are the most underprepared for retirement? Oh, yeah. I saw that statistic and it just, I had to ask you this because I know the millennial manhood is your, your, um, you know, your niche. Well, the two is, is, that, is that a true statement? The two go hand in hand. You're educated because the government made debt really easy. So college has pumped up their costs. So it's eating up all your cash flow every month. Hmm. So yeah, of course you're not plan planning for retirement when you can't freaking afford to even buy a house. I want you to think about this. I was yeah. 29 when I, my wife and I bought our house here in Nashville. We paid $360,000 for it. We paid $360,000 for our first house. At 29. Okay? At 29. And it's, it's nice. I mean, people watching, I don't know if this is a video podcast, but like, it's a nice place. We've got four bed, you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. New build. I'm refinancing it right now. Literally appraised for 450 September, 2019 to now 450. I made 90 grand in equity 
um, actually a hundred grand because of down payment, um, in 15 months. How is another 29 year old supposed to like come in and buy this off of me for 450? Well, they can't. Correct. Well, if they can, they're going to have to come up with some creative financing. Yeah. Correct. So, you know, I mean, it goes deeper than that, just within from a conceptual standpoint that we've eliminated the value of money Hmm. because, because it doesn't represent, it doesn't represent actual value being created in the economy. We've printed 40% of the entire U.S. dollar money supply in the history of the country in the last year. There's, there's no value being created. We're just pumping mm. crap out. Okay, well, when you're doing that, that is legal theft because you're stealing from the savers. You're stealing from people who have built up assets by devaluing their assets without their permission. Hmm. So is that, what, is that where you see, and maybe this is a whole different, uh, as I say, a whole different seminar, but the cryptocurrency um, craze, I guess. And, I, I, and again, it's not a fad. I don't, I don't think they're no, going it's not away. A no, the no. incredible. You know it better than I do just because of the age difference. I, I Full disclosure, I don't own any cryptocurrency. And our mm-hmm. firm has, we, we manage a little bit under 700 million. So we, we're a pretty good sized firm. I don't know if we have any any advisors. I don't, not, I'm not sure our broker dealer would even encourage us to use um, yeah, you know, crypt yet. The key word is yet. Keyword. Yeah, I don't. I don't understand um, crypto well enough. So one of my buddies, I don't either. Um, one of my buddies, he runs the Whiteboard Finance YouTube channel. Uh, Marco, he's Serbian as well, actually. Um, he was born <laughs> in America though, so it's it's a little different. But um, I had him on my podcast, and he's he's pretty big into it. Um, and mm-hmm. he does a lot of videos on it. And he, but he, he he's not like a what's. Like you have all these jerks on on social media, just like pushing it, pumping it, etc. He's he's not like that. He's like genuinely trying to explain it from like here is the value add of it. Right. This percentage of my portfolio is in it, and it's not some exact. It's, it's not like some extravagant percentage. I think it was like I don't. I think it's single digits. Yeah. Um, you know he's dollar cost averaging into it, and he. Oh yeah. You know he just Absolutely. sees it as an asset class. Um, yeah, but so the the problem that I see is the the FOMO. Oh, yeah. I sit there and I sit there and I'm I'm on my social media portals, kind of looking at the news, you know, because nobody reads newspapers anymore. So I'm on MSN, things like that. Mm-hmm. And the first thing I'll see is some Russian oligarch, you know, 17 year olds worth 20 billion dollars. And I think to myself, what I'm trying to understand, what value is this article that somebody took time to write about? How is this going to help anybody out there? Why don't you spend time mm-hmm. on on the average Johnny Lunch Bucket, you know, guy that working that is dollar cost average, averaging into Bitcoin through E-Trade or something. I don't know, just yeah. something more relevant than a 18-year-old cryptocurrency billionaire or the Kardashians that, I, I just like, I know why, obviously, because no one wants to hear about Johnny Lunch Bucket buying $50 yeah. a month in Bitcoin. I, I get yeah. that. But if we want to start fixing some of these problems, then this fear of missing out is something that um, we have to rewire. We have to get, you know, the millennials to understand. Like I, when people will call me on the show and say, well, Jeff, what's your thoughts on the IPO for Twitter? And I said, if you didn't buy Twitter 20 years down the road, are you going to be able to retire successfully? Well, of mm. course I am. Well, then, then, then you don't have to buy it. Yeah. Or if you do buy it with money that you can afford losing. But you're okay all. with losing. Yeah, all, every yeah. penny, not half, yeah. but all. 
And if that, and, and then that's how I answer the question. So I, I, we, we never now, even after this many years, we, people know better to call our show anymore because they're not, we're not, we're not going to get lured into that trap to answer that unanswerable question. Yeah. There's again, I think it goes back to the concept of like, what is money? Why do you yeah. want money? Like, I don't, I can, you know what my parents did before we came to America? They had a bunch of cash stack. I mean, tens of thousands of marks set aside in our house and they bought a bunch of gold. I bet that's put, so common back then. And they put it in a safe underground in a bank in Munich, locked it up. And we went to America and they bought a they bunch put of it gold in a safe at a bank underground right? at a bank. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Three keys necessary to open it. Wow. Um, sounds kind of like a medieval knot, like there's it a does. dragon. It does. Or it does. Uh, <laughs> um, but the reason was gold will always be valuable. So it's, it's, you know, it's God's money, essentially. It's yeah. always going to be because it comes out of nature. It has uses, et cetera. Yeah. You know, the, the question is, what is money? Why do you need money? Why is the FOMO so important? Why is the, why are all these different pieces? And to me in my life with, with my wife, my family and my legacy, money is just a conduit to be to allow us to do the things we want to do to help the, help the people we want to be able to help to, you know, the more problems I solve, the more money I make. It's just kind of how it works. Uh, so I, I do, I do a lot of financial counseling for free to individuals. Just, I mean, I had a conversation earlier today with one of my friends and, um, you know, I mean, sometimes I have to have a conversation where I'm like, you've got to figure out a skill set that's going to make you more money. Cause otherwise you cannot keep living the life you want to live. Yeah. You are not yep. an Apple customer. Right. You're not. You're a $200 Android customer. Hmm. Apple is a high level brand. It's, it's, it's meant for upper middle class, upper class individuals. You don't fall into hmm. that. You can't afford it. Go find, go find a skill, go create a skill, go to YouTube university. I don't care. Create a, figure out a skill that can compensate you more for the problems you solve. The more value you bring to the table, the more money you'll create because money is just a direct representation of created value. So on your podcast, what's the biggest top two issues, let's put money aside, mm -hmm. that you see in the millennial generation? Uh, what, oh. are, what are the biggest challenges? Easy. I, I'm, limit, I'm Easy. limiting it to two because you could go on forever. <laughs> Easy. Anxiety, depression, and I'll do, okay, I'll, con I'll conclude, I'll include anxiety and depression together into one, and the lack of uh, identity. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Do you think... Um, uh, What's imposter syndrome is a lot is a big issue here. Maybe um, I've been chewing on imposter syndrome in general to try to really understand that it more in depth. Um, so I, I, I don't know if I can answer that. Honestly, that's something I've been chewing on. Try to understand just in general. I'm I just think writing a lot of it, some notes here. Sorry. No, you're fine. I think a lot of it just in general has to do with the fact that people feel like they've got no purpose. Like life is like life is relatively easy in 2021 compared to, I don't know, 1921 or 1821 or whatever. Right. Um, so what's your purpose? Well, now we're really the first human beings in history to have to create our own purpose on in mass. You say we, you mean the millennials? Well, not even necessarily millennials. I mean, we even talked about on my podcast, like your age group of white men is the number one demographic of suicide. Isn't that just, astounding yeah so, it, may, it makes sense if you step through it a little bit but i don't think yeah. that's even publicized 
Yeah, I mean, but think about it. 200 years ago, I live in, 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 in Turkish Bosnia, in Ottoman Bosnia at the time. I'm one of my ancestors. My job is to defend the damn village from raids. Absolutely. <laughs> like, Absolutely. I've got a mission. Um, what's my mission today? Hmm. I don't have anything built in, nothing inherent. And, and men in particular want responsibility. That's interesting. It's like a lost, it's like a lost generation. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Because when you say built in, I'm thinking to myself, in a way, every generation, I know you're going to be this way with your kids. I was with mine. I kind of want them to have it better than yes. what I had it. And in doing mm-hmm. so, becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy, they're actually probably less equipping them for the realities of life. And so they become coddled. They become redirected towards the wrong things. Like like um, a grade point average is more important than your ability to be a good human. You know, to socialize yeah. and and to and to have conversations. You know, um, I don't know. I just I I think there's some some things here you're onto that I think um, on your show uh, you're you're going to be. Um, opening up a lot of these doors for conversation. I, the anxiety, depression, and lack of identity, those are those are big things. Uh, yeah. And they cause a lot of problems. They cause uh, alcoholism. They cause suicide, obviously. I mean, it's it, the when I say the white middle-aged man is the highest year-over-year increase, I think all, all the um, areas are, are increasing. I think women, I know, I know for... Even homosexuals, homosexual teenagers are committing suicide at scary rates. It four times more likely to kill themselves. So a 15 year old boy or girl that's just questioning their sexuality, which on the spectrum of things just really isn't that big a freaking deal. Mm-hmm. Um, but society makes it or your religion makes it a really big deal. Mm-hmm. You're not allowed to, you're not allowed to even have these thoughts. And mm-hmm. so they're like, I can't tell my parents cause they have to yep. go to church, and if I tell my parents, then maybe they'll get kicked out of church, and then they'll maybe I need to be fixed. Maybe, maybe I'm maybe it's a phase. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll just maybe it's poison ivy, and I'll just uh, put some medicine on it. It'll go away. And I'm like, no, maybe it's you. Maybe it's who you are. Somebody needs to invest in that. Well, right? and it, it may it may be who you are. It may be a phase. It may be question. It may, it may be whatever. Right. But you need to have right. the freedom to not be afraid right. to. Um, and it, it could be sexuality, but it could be a million other yeah. things to right. confront whatever it is that is staring you in the face. Well, I'm not sure if I told you this, but my youngest son came out as gay. I, did I, did I tell, you did. You, tell you that? You did. Yeah, we didn't and, get to it on was, podcast, it was, but you did. It was a great learning experience for me as a dad because when he asked me to talk, I just thought it was, you know, 16-year-old boy stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. And he had had a girlfriend. and. Mm-hmm. I just don't think he realized that was what he was attracted to. And mm-hmm. when he told me, and it sounds selfish to, or stupid to say this, but my first inclination was it was a phase. Like, mm-hmm. you'll outgrow this. You'll become a man. You'll realize that this is just not who you are. But, man, so quickly, I when the words came out of my mouth, I thought, man, Jeff, you just effed this up horribly, dude. You just had a great opportunity here to really listen to your son. You know, the next time he has something to come talk to you about, he won't. He probably won't come talk to you because you shut yeah. him down. And I learned from that, and I did a blog on it, and then I I decided how to do it a podcast. I had my whole, my son mm-hmm. here for an hour, and we did a podcast. It wasn't to flaunt or to rub it in people's faces. It was to open up this 
for parents to be able to have these conversations and give your kids a, you don't want your kid to be afraid to talk to you about any topic whatsoever. If they can't talk to you, who are they going to go talk to? Mm -hmm. You know? Well, and that, that, but I think that's so important. And that's why I tell people, I told you this before we recorded, like if we can impact one person positively with this recording, we've done our job. Right. And, I can't tell you how many times people have reached out to me and be like, oh man, I thought I was the only one struggling with that after an episode. And they hear yeah. somebody else talk about it. They're like, oh crap, this, I'm not the only one. And it's like, hmm. yeah, that, that was the whole point. Um, and, and you know, I think just us as humans, we're so complex and we have so many different ways our life can go. Uh, I mean, life in itself, think about this. This blows my mind all the time. Out of all the human beings that have ever existed and out of all the human beings that will ever exist. So forward and back right now at this very moment on what may, uh, may 28th, 2021, you and I, Jeff and Yabitza, it is our turn to exist on, on that spectrum. Right. And to live life and to figure it out. And we're having a conversation. Right. Out of, out of everybody that's ever lived and anybody that will ever live. Right now, it's our turn. How special is that? Yeah, and people don't look at it that way. They yeah, they squander it with trivial things, and they squander it with lack of awareness, you know, and lack of gratitude, you know. Yeah, it's it's so beautiful. Have you seen it's... the picture of the pale blue dot? Uh uh-uh. oh. Oh oh yes 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 the um the Voyager I, I, um yeah took, the, uh, the, I think it was nineteen ninety Carl the Sagan of the Earth. Carl Sagan suggested that they turn it around and take a picture as it went off. Mm-hmm. And you look at that and you see the vastness and you see this little tiny speck and you think every single human emotion, every single human, every I love you, every funeral, every uh, everything that's been anger, every possible emotion is on that little blue speck floating out there. It just if you if you don't if you don't look at that picture and say that's the most awe inspiring thing I've ever seen in my life, I'm not sure what I'm not sure what you're looking at that would be more awe inspiring than seeing the the pale blue dot. And I'm actually I'm writing a blog right now called The Humility of Humanity, and I open with the the pale blue dot as my mm-hmm. opening sentence, just to put it in frame that you know we have this bubble that we walk around with thinking that things are so important and that when somebody cuts me off, I flip them off or something happens during my day. And it just, we just over magnify the real importance of even our lives, even just us, but the things that happen and you see the earth there from a distance and you're like, man, we just, we aren't as a big deal (laughs) as we want to give ourselves, you know, and there, and that's where the gratitude for me comes into play. That's where I'm going with this. Well, I'm going off the Stoics, the Ryan holiday book. Ego is the enemy. Absolutely. The, Great book. The, the antithesis, antithesis of ego is humility. Why do you think, say what you want about religion, whoever you are listening, but why do you think every yeah. religion put really, really puts a focus on humility? Mm-hmm. Because it's an, it's, it's a consistent human truth. Hmm. The reason it keeps coming up is because human beings all across the world figured out that, Hey, humility is a key to self-realization. 
because you're not that important because our ancestors didn't have light pollution. They could look at, look up at the night sky and see all right. the stars and be like, holy crap, we are nothing. Right. right. And when look at what your mom and dad at the time they were 40, what they were grateful for. Mm -hmm. And then look at me at 55, what I'm grateful for. Then look at what my kids at 20 are grateful for. Quite a bit of a difference, yeah. <laughs> you know. There is, but it's so, man, it's so beautiful that all of us have these different experiences because it is just, again, the simple fact, think about this, for you to be born, okay, when a, okay, we're going to go into biology. The average man per sexual intercourse produces about 300 million sperms, mm -hmm. okay? It's about the equivalent of the population of the United States of America. Oh, it's crazy for that sperm to get to an egg. It is the equivalent of you walking from Los Angeles to Seattle. So That's 300 crazy. million start each one of them, a different possible combination of a human being. Wow. And one of them, sometimes two, but one of them makes it to, to Seattle, makes it to the egg. <laughs> wow. Th think about the odds of that for, for you to be created. How special you are. And then nothing to go wrong during the actual right. development. Right. And then you have to survive your first year, which where most humans died in history is the first year. Right. And then you got to get to become an adult and somehow you're supposed to like self-actualize and realize that like, oh, you know, what's going, what's going on in the world. I mean, it's, 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 oh, when you break it down like that, you're like the odds of that happening and me being around are just so special. And then, and then we get a podcast. That, Correct. That's how it ends, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's how. That's it. Have a good night. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. I don't really know where I was going with all that. Yeah, yeah I can't I top. Cool. I can't top you uh, going to going to Seattle and all that. That story is pretty good. I, I've never heard it presented that way. That's. Uh, I remember. I, I that does that. if if that doesn't demonstrate really how special you are. Uh, I, I don't know what would. Yeah. That's even more. That's even more unique than the pale blue dot analogy I used, or the metaphor, is that to get to even where you and I are, all the things that had to go our way to get here, and for us not to be grateful. That's why impermanence is a beautiful concept, mm -hmm. because my my son the other day was down here. We were talking about some issue he had within his relationship, and I said, "You know the greatest thing about what you're going through, Roman?" He said, "What?" And I said. It's impermanent. Mm. And I don't think he really understood. And I said, that pit you have in the stomach, that sick feeling you have, it doesn't last forever. And that's what impermanence is. It's the idea of things dies or at the end. So even the best of times are impermanent. Mm. The worst the worst of times are impermanent. So when someone mm. says nothing lasts forever, they really mean both good and bad times. And if you're aware mm. of that, then when you have the best of times, you can sit back and see that baby that you just created and you can hold it and have that great feeling, you know, the, the best of times. Mm -hmm. And then um, the counter can happen. I'm, I'm sitting there looking at the urn of my son who died of a heroin overdose, the, the, mm -hmm. which would be the worst of times. But I have respect and awe of death as much as I have love and gratitude for life, you know? And again, it, it didn't happen overnight. It, it took me to go through some deep 
deep places um, in my in my life that I talk about the abyss in my book. You know, laying with my back, and and you've you've been there. Um, I think it's hard to get to where you are in in your life. I know you're younger than me, but without having some uh, some challenges that would equate to your abyss. You know, my abyss mm-hmm. is my abyss. Your abyss is your abyss, but they're both abysses. <laughs> they're both, they both suck. Um, it doesn't mean one's better or worse than the other. Um, I, I am intrigued by all that. I think that's um, gratitude, humility, love, empathy, compassion. Those are words, I think, like the millennial, you talked about anxiety, depression, lack of identity. Those are all words that that generation and for all my generation too could definitely learn from, you know? Well, and I, th- I think one of the beautiful things, so the Greeks have a saying that I, I really like. It's they, they basically say, uh, no one is truly dead as, some, as long as somebody remembers them. Hmm. And I think that's so... The Greeks said that, huh? Mm-hmm. Um, I love that. You know, I think that's so incredibly powerful in the sense that... Um, so I'm, I'm from a religious standpoint, I'm Greek Orthodox. And, um, I remember I listened to a priest talk about, you know, death and, uh, he was talking about how his grandson or not his son. So Orthodox, by the way, Orthodox priests are married. So that's why this priest is talking about his son. Um, the priest's father passed away and his son was asking, he was saying, you know, will, will we get to see, you know, what happens after do we get to see grandpa again? And the priest said, you know, you loved your grandfather. You love your grandfather, right? And his son said, yes. And he says, did you notice how it didn't say you loved your grandfather? Hmm. And he said, uh, that love doesn't disappear ever. Right. And you, you, you can't take away the love that your grandfather had for you or for I or for any of us. Mm-hmm. That energy stays around forever. So yes, we will be together forever, and it was you know, and you know, in Orthodox theology, we 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 tend to be a little more cautious about what what is said from a theological standpoint. There's a lot more mystery than there is definitive statements. Um, yeah, I would say that's true for sure. Um, so so um, the mystery of God is is respected and honored significantly more than in Western Christianity. Um, so Which they it, provide it, answers. Yeah, yeah. So so. Um, you know, I really, I, I really appreciated that statement because it made so much sense to me when I heard that. I was like, yeah, you, like my grandfather, one of them died in 99, one of them died in 2002 or three. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't love them. I love them still, mm-hmm. you know? Well, I know exactly what you're talking about. Uh, hundred percent. Yeah. Your son. Had, you, yeah. You, you didn't, you didn't stop loving your son. You still love your son. Actually last night on LinkedIn, maybe, you, maybe you saw it. I know we follow each other, but we get. We're so busy in so many conversations. Uh, ADD and LinkedIn can be a problem sometimes. Um, yeah. But um, somebody posted something uh, with a, a penny with a little little thing of fentanyl next to it. Mm. And her name's Amy Olseth, I think. She's awesome. And she was commenting that that's all the amount of fentanyl takes to, you know, the size of Abe Lincoln's pen, uh, nose, you know, um, mm. would would kill anybody. And so... Immediately, you know, I thought of my son. I posted a picture of my son and I said, it's shocking to think that that's how much it took to, to take Seth. Uh, I love you, Seth, et cetera. And very short. I didn't want to be dramatic. 
most people following know my story. I don't need to beat him up with it. Well, she then kind of apologized. She kind of said, well, I, you know, I did, I'm sorry if, if I triggered. And I immediately thought, she didn't trigger me. Because mm-hmm. triggering would mean that I'm bringing up an emotion that's causing me to go backwards. But I, Seth is alive to me. <laughs> I can't explain it. He, and you said something that I couldn't agree more, and it's in my book. Seth truly dies when I stop talking about him. I say those mm-hmm. words. And I didn't know that was a Greek uh, phrase. I just have absorbed it over the years. And I could have read it in a Stoic book. Um, um, very likely I did. But where I'm going with this is that when she made that statement, the assumption was that my comment only could have been because I was triggered. Well, no, I, you can't trigger me. I, I talk and think about Seth every freaking moment of every day. You can't, you can't already trigger me. It's like, it's like I'm going to trigger you to breathe. Yeah, I'm untriggerable, but I understand her concern. She may have thought I'm, I'm one of the ones that find ways to wallow in misery and so forth. And I don't, I talk about Seth, I chase him. He is one of my three boys and, and he always will be, it's impossible for him not to be. Absolutely. And some people can't understand that because I think there's more of us members of that club that have lost a child that are, that are, haven't got figured out a way to, you know, as I say, honor the dead, live for the living. I mean, that's probably a stoic quote at some point. And I honor Seth, but I'm, I'm not, I'm not living for Seth. I'm, I'm living in honor of him. I'm living for my two boys right now. I'm living for you right now. I'm living for my ex-wife. I'm living for my parents. I'm not living for Seth. He's not here. I'm, I'm no. honoring him. You follow me on that? I, mean, I don't know if that, yeah. it's hard for me to maybe articulate that to some people, but I seem you, I have a feeling you grasp it. Um, for some yeah. people can't. There, there's so many interesting rabbit holes to go down there. One of the things that I find really interesting about American culture that bothers me and I think it comes from the Puritan, puritanical roots of America and some of the theology behind that of the early settlers mm-hmm. is the complete disregard for the dead that I feel American culture has. Hmm. Visiting cemeteries is not really a thing culturally. It used um, to be. My parents used to take us to see our grandparents, but Really? Yeah. I I was talking to somebody who was doing some cleanup work for their family plot. At a, at, in a rural cemetery and he was kind of just complaining about how that's kind of a waste of time hmm. and I don't think he meant it in a negative way I know he didn't but just um, again from a cultural why think, standpoint why do you think this is I, I think you hit know. on something there I don't I, I mean I think I mean part of it again part of that puritanical theology of Calvinism and and so and and Anabaptists and early settlers is like the, this life is kind of like just a, a stop along the way in and what you really get trying to get to is the afterlife. Hmm. Um, so you kind of disregard this life. I I'm really grasping there because I'm trying to work through yeah. in my head what yeah. what what it could be. But I don't I, I don't know maybe like I have a friend who passed away um, tragically in a car wreck in 2016. He was one of my best friends. I go visit his grave three or four times a year. Hmm. I go take flowers and, and I sit down next to them and we just chat. Absolutely. Um, and I've had other friends who were really close to him that I invited and they never take me up on that offer. And I'm like, why not? Why not uh, like go to the one thing that we have that honors the fact 
publicly that this man lived at one point. You think it's you know? too painful? I don't know. I, again, I just like to me, it's not weird in in right, in, right. in Yugoslavian culture. Um, you do that all the time. Yeah. Um. So I I don't know. To to me, I just grew up doing it secondhand. Right. Um. So I, I I don't know. Again, I might also be just projecting my experiences of, you know, Nashville, Tennessee, <laughs> and the people that yeah. I'm surrounded by. You know, we might go to Maine and people listening there are like, what the hell is this Yavitsa guy talking about? It'd be so easy for me to just accept claims that Seth is in a better place. It would be so comforting to think that my son, our son, is, you know, up there playing with our pets that we put down a few years back yep. and my great grandparents had died and another friend's son committed suicide. It's easy to think or not easy, it's um, more comforting to think that that's what is really happening. Yet, for Jeff Johnston, that doesn't work. Uh, I am not comfortable. I'm not, I don't need the assertion or claim that, A, I know anything, because I, I simply don't. And I'm not comfortable, I don't wanna say lying to myself, but I'm not comfortable in telling myself a story that I simply don't have enough evidence that I that I believe there even is an afterlife. Do you dismiss hope, it though completely, or I'm, do you? I I, I I I struggle with this so much, mm -hmm. um, Yavid, so that I'm not really sure even how to say it. And sometimes the fact that we have to language makes feelings difficult because we feel like in order to explain something, we have to have a language. That's why mm -hmm. just the concept of of awe and beauty. You know, when people have a transcendent experience, sometimes they come back out of that and they struggle with trying to find words. And so they just mm -hmm. come up with a word, oh, a bright light, so people can understand. Well, sometimes there's just things you can't put words onto. And and I'm not sure where I got off on that whole thing, but but in regards to, you know, the um, the ability to deal with, with Seth's death, I've accepted the fact that I don't know where he is. And if you believe in all the laws of what thermodynamics and energy is never created and destroyed, all that stuff, if, 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 if that is a truth, then his energy is somewhere. Mm -hmm. And maybe my, part of my missions with Living Undeterred and, and the book and talking to people like you and gathering data is maybe my journey on my life is to try to find out where he is. Mm. And, but I know, I know I probably will never will find out. I want to believe that if I die, I meet him, I see him again someday. But I don't torture myself with, um, I don't know, it's hard to explain. I, I'm very comfortable not knowing. I just, it doesn't affect me adversely at all to tell myself I don't know where he is. It doesn't bother me. It would bother me more yeah. if, I created a, if I created a story just so I could sleep better at night. That would bother me more personally for me. I, I would be very uncomfortable that I wasn't authentic with myself. Mm. Now, yeah, is it's... it right or wrong? I don't have any idea. I. I sleep well. Um, I've never been depressed after Seth died. I was horribly had depressive moments. I think you and I talked about. I thought about suicide, but I I wouldn't consider that depression because my depressive moments were very short and intense, mm. but they went away. So, is my grieving process better? I it, it's unique to me, as is yours. Mm. You know. Yeah, it. Mm. 
I know it's not even a question I think I threw out there. It's more of letting no. you kind of go inside my brain to figure out how I think things through. You yeah, know? and some people need to, like, they need, like, when people say, I know this happens after I'm, after I die, you know, like, typically very religious people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I never argue with those because, one, I'm not interested in arguing with them. Um, yeah. Two, like, if that's what you need, and you truly believe it to keep you out of the anxiety of knowing of being the only creatures on earth that know that one day we're going to die. God bless you. I agree. hundred percent. Like hundred percent. Like, like the fact that we are aware of the fact that we are going to die and the fact that we don't live in a constant state of anxiety, just about that fact is a miracle. Yeah. I would agree. I, I mean, again, personally, I do believe in God. I do believe in, 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 um, the 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 energies of God, the power of God, the 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 theology of the the Orthodox Church in a lot of ways, and 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 the salvation salvific process that that we would call theosis. Um, mm-hmm. Do I could try to convince others of it? No, I, I cannot care less to convince others of it. Uh, right. It gives me hope in the sense of because it's an active process. Um, of the deification of the soul to become more Christ-like every single day that I live. So right. can I be a human that loves others? Can I be somebody who shows compassion? Can I be somebody who turns the other cheek? Can I be you know, somebody who goes out of my way to help? And can I get better at that every single day um, as long as I live and, and after that? And whatever happens after I take my last breath happens. And that is what the beauty is of and in my case, I'm agnostic, but you and I both can do good. We can live good lives. We can live inspired lives as a believer or non-believer. And, and mm-hmm. most of my friends are believers. Most of them happen to be Christians. I, have, mm-hmm. I don't have a ton of Catholic friends, but I'm mostly Christian friends. Um, they pray for me. Um, you know, they, they, they do all these things. I accept everything from everybody because, again, I'm at a point in my grieving process where I'm only less than five years into bearing a child. Mm-hmm. I need help. You know, I, I need all the arrows in my quiver that I can possibly get. I'll take God. I'll take anything I can get. Mm-hmm. Um, but you and I both are similar to a lot of people in that it doesn't matter what you believe. It's more important how you behave. Mm-hmm. 100%. And, that, and, and I, I could tattoo that on my forehead because people go around telling me what they believe. And I'm like, okay, that's great. But what do you actually do? What, what, what do you bring to the table other than your ideology or your thoughts or opinions? What are you doing in action? Are you being a good dad? Are you being a good, a good husband? Are you being a good business owner? Are you being a good podcast host? Are you writing good content? Are you, are you mm-hmm. creating, are you solving people's problems as you're solving your own? You believe in God or don't, like you just said, I don't, I don't really care. But if you're an asshole yeah. and you're an atheist, then I care. If you're an asshole Christian, I care, you know, and I think the behavior thing at 55 years old is much more important to me than what people believe anymore. I used to, used to care if you were a Democrat, Republican, you know, all that stuff in my twenties was a big deal. Apparently now I realize how much just wasted time I spent and even just wasted good relationships. I probably could have harvested, you know, that now it, now I'm really enjoying I'm really enjoying meeting people of all, all flavors now. I love it. It's so amazing how much people crave certainty because life is mm-hmm. so uncertain. 
mm-hmm. how much people crave certainty. And right. that's something that I've been coming to terms with more and more as older I've gotten is just accepting uncertainty. Um, it's hard to do. Well, we're not wired as humans, well, after, you know, we just aren't. Yeah. I, cr- I, I did a podcast called America. We're in trouble January 7th, 2021, the day after the Capitol storming. And I ended it. I'm going to go listen to it. January 7th. Yeah. It's okay. 13 minutes. It's not Perfect. even long. Um, it was just, I was just so pissed off after that. And, uh, <laughs> I said at the end of it, I said, maybe just maybe take a second and ask yourself if the other side is right, whatever side you're on, or if yeah. there's a possibility that the other side is right, because maybe just maybe you're the one who's wrong. What do you think the response was or what did response did you get? Overwhelmingly positive. Overwhelmingly oh, interesting. Positive. Over, so people. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Like here, here's the deal. Here's the deal. In order for you to storm the U S Capitol, forget what, what side you are on politically. Forget all that. I'm just saying just for you to get to a point where you are ready to storm the capital of the United States of America. It could get shot. Yeah. Yeah. You have, you have not considered whether or not the other side is right. Good point. There's no way in hell you've considered it because if you did, that is such an extreme action to take. There's, there's no way. Yeah. I, I want to listen to this 13 minutes. Uh, and, um, yeah, it might even be shorter. It's, I mean, I was literally just pissed off. I turned on the mic and I said, what in the actual hell is wrong with, with, with the people in this country? I don't give a shit if it's Republican, Democrat, Martian. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Nobody cared. I, I think at the, the time when I saw people yeah. climbing over the Capitol uh, stairs, I, I, th- I didn't care anymore. It was more about just the safety of the people there. And, well, and, just... the, and, and, and our society, we live in a country that needs to have some, some, some functioning uh, uh, basically moral code that we all agree to. We respect mm-hmm. the institutions that exist because they allow for us to live in a safe society. The only reason we have government is because if we didn't have government, I would constantly have to shoot people trying to take my house from me. Right, right. We have property law because that's easier and safer than me defending my shit with a shotgun. Have you heard of the book? Did I tell you this when I was on your show? I don't remember the author, but it's a book called Mental Immunity. Yes, we talked about that. We, uh, we we both listened to the Joe Rogan episode. Okay. Yeah, I've talked about the book frequently. I, I haven't listened to it yet, but I just got it on audiobook. But I like the concept of mind parasites because I have to mm-hmm. think everybody climbing the Capitol stairs wearing Viking hats and flags and, you know, just in would, would look like, you know, what you would see in an insane asylum, you know, 100 years ago if you could sneak in a, a camcorder. Um just people running around amok, you know, uh, causing problems. And I have to think a lot of those people are just having infected viruses that they've poisoned themselves from too much of confirmation bias. You know, I, I'm mad at the government. So all I'm going to do all day is watch stories on conspiracies and certain radios, TV stations, and just confirm and just build on that anger to the point, like you said, now they're not thinking logically. And I think that's what, the author in this mental immunity is about teaching us to build immunities like we do to fight off the flu and to fight off uh, diseases. We build up immunities in our body, but I don't think we do have a good job as society building up immunities in our brain. 
Well, well can I interject real quick? Oh, it, absolutely. It doesn't help that the government doesn't help themselves in this case. For example, they've lied to us about literally everything. Everything. Think about this. In the Kennedy administration, the Joint Chiefs of Staff literally planned to shoot down a U.S. airliner, killing everybody on it, and blaming the Cubans for it so we could invade Cuba. Mm-hmm. And the Joint Chiefs of Staff signed off on it, and the person that vetoed that plan was John F. Kennedy himself. Think about that for a second. This is not a conspiracy theory. This is declassified yeah. U.S. documents. Right, right. So your government was willing to kill its own citizens in order to have an excuse to invade Cuba. Well, look at Iran-Contra, you know. Um, yeah, Iran-Contra. You know, I mean, right. for love of God, the war in Iraq. Yeah, I don't want to exactly. hear shit. I don't want to yeah. hear a damn thing from anybody <laughs> in the media. Oprah, sit your ass down. You sold that shit to the American public that killed a million Iraqis and God knows how many American soldiers, kids who were sent over there yeah. for this crazy ass war. I, I get it. I see your passion, man. Um, and I, I think as a naive American sometimes, you know, and, and I profess that that can be me and, probably most people I know because we were born and bred here that we are kind of oblivious until you travel overseas, you know, what it's really like outside of the, you know, the protected confines of our country, you know, um, especially where you grew up in your youth before you were 10. Um, well, do you ever go back? I do. The last time I was back was, was 2017, but I, I do want to finish, the, the, last, yeah, 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 finish yeah. the last point real quick. Yeah. Um, just the, yeah, so when you have things like that, it's not that far of a stretch to get to the crap that people were believing who stormed the Capitol. No, I understand. You see what I'm saying? Absolutely. Yeah, I do. I do. Yep. I mean... <laughs> you, can, you can connect the dots pretty easily there. Pretty, pretty freaking easily because yeah. the, the sad reality is the thing we probably don't want to admit to ourselves... Okay, look, I don't think, I, no, I do not think that the elites are eating baby blood or whatever the hell QAnon <laughs> believes. But I guarantee you there's bits and pieces of the conspiracy theories that these people buy into that are true. Well, every conspiracy theory Correct. has some bits and pieces. Every and if one person that everyone knows that had a soundbite and people run with it. Like right now, yeah. the UFO thing, I'm very interested in seeing the Pentagon <laughs> coming out. Exactly, because there are pieces of that. That all you know, true. The, pi- the, the fighter pilot saw yeah. something odd. Well, doesn't mean it's out of the out of the earth. You know, it doesn't mean that it's not you know advanced technology that we we made here that we're just experimenting with. But people take that one video of something pivoting up there by a fighter pilot 15 years ago as proof. Yep. You know, and so I see you're right. You're definitely right. Things can be taken to extremes, and. Um, that's what fuels conspiracy theories in general, you know? Well, and like you said, those, those mind parasites and I'll, I'll, I'll answer your question that you asked before I finish my thought, but has, uh, has Bosnia changed a lot? Um, yeah. Yes. And no, um, there's just a lot of deeper issues. It's, it's essentially a, a I mean, it's essentially an economic and political colony. It doesn't really function as its own state. Um, there, you know, the wars essentially were never resolved. So I feel bad for the people who don't see a way out. Um, I feel bad for the people who lost loved ones. Um, 
and and I try to help as much as I, I can in different ways. Um, you know, it's just, but then again, then again, when you compare Bosnia to like some random country in Africa or Southeast Asia, I mean, they're living like Kings, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, so it's all yeah. relative. Like, yeah, right. compared to the standard of living in the United States, you're like, Oh no, the poverty. But then compared to the standard of living in Sri Lanka, you're like, Oh my God, the wealth. Um, and that's, you know, the, I think the, I heard, I heard someone ahead. say something about the, you know, the birth lottery idea, you know, mm-hmm. lucky sometimes just by the, the luck of the draw, you know, I mm-hmm. was born, you know, I had a lot of advantages being white, you know, male born in Iowa. <laughs> I, I, you know, where <laughs> I think, Iowa. I think, I think you're, I think, I think your birth lottery, you know, was a little bit more of a struggle than mine. Um, you know, I don't know. I would yeah. say I had I'm not pretty, making light of it, but uh, yeah, I had a pretty damn I, good birth lottery. Did you? Good. I, I, I mean, I come from a. Uh, my family was relatively wealthy. Um, my family owned a lot of land. Um, my dad was educated. I mean, it, but it's birth lottery that my dad and my family were like, yeah, we're not doing this shit. Like all the yeah. rabble rousing and all the brainwashing to where you hate your neighbor. Like, screw you. I'm not doing that. That, I mean, to mm-hmm. me, that's a birth lottery. I mean, I tell people all the time. I, I tell my wife all the time. I had an incredible childhood. Unbelievable. I would not trade my childhood with, with anybody. Let me throw this at you because I think you're just wired to be an optimistic person. Do you think, I do have a positivity bias. You, that is for sure. Do you think somebody else that went through your same first five, ten years of life may now look back and just have anger and, and just issues and hatred and and just you were able to take and that's why i think you probably in a positive way like sometimes i'm accused of being teflon my my brother called me that one time in a positive way it's like you know geez jeff do you ever do you ever like yes i do you just i don't tell Mm -hmm. people about it um but you seem to be wired like me a little bit from that standpoint is that i think you're just you're just an optimistic person i mean you're passionate but you're also very optimistic i think it would be Hmm. Interesting to see if someone could live the first 15 years of your life and if they'd have the same outlook, you know, coming over here from Germany and being planted in a different country and having to learn a new language, things that I never had to do. Probably. I mean, again, I just had such good parents. So and that's the key. I think that's that, what I'm learning about this. That's the key. Your parents sound awesome. Yeah, my parents, they, they are awesome. I mean, again, they have flaws. Like my dad is like old man stubborn, pisses me off every single day. Like... Shut the hell up and go to the doctor. Now, how, um, how old are they right now? How old are your parents? My dad's 60. My mom's 55, 56. Your dad's 60? Yes. And I'm 55. Yeah. <laughs> you, you could be my dad. I could almost be your dad. My dad's 87. Yeah. I mean, I'm 31. It's not, yeah, it's not unreasonable. You would have had me at what, 24, 25? Well, Seth would have been 27 this year. Yeah. So it's not that. I mean, Seth and I went to school. Like, we were in high school at the same time. That's crazy. I was probably a senior. He was a freshman. So, yeah, it's not unreasonable. That's um, crazy. Well, you've done yeah. a lot in a short amount of time so far, man. I try to, man. You're selling, selling financial services for 10 years. Age <laughs> it's you. God, man. It's <laughs> like you want to talk about a, 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 a difficult, difficult job. That. that. Um, so, yeah, I'm, man, I'm really marinating on that question. Would somebody else be? Yeah, I'm just it, curious because you seem so optimistic. 
I, I do have a positivity bias for sure, except for when it comes to money. I am ruthlessly pragmatic when it comes to money. Like I oh, will yeah. look at an investment every which way before before I, I pulled the trigger because I like I like money. <laughs> like yeah. I've, I've and, not and had losses, money. as you know, losses uh, way more than gains feel good. Correct. You know? um, yeah. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think my parents are positive relatively positive people overall you kind of have to be considering what they've been through yeah i don't again i don't know if you would believe it or not but like when i was a kid it didn't even click to me that we were neither poor nor refugees like we were just i never remember as a child Hmm. like our family being unhappy that's interesting because it was what you it is what it is you didn't have anything to compare it to like you do now yeah, and I mean, I'm so much luckier than the kids who didn't get out. I have cousins who didn't get out. Yeah. All of them. Like, my dad was trying to beg people to leave with him, and they wouldn't because they were so damn brainwashed into the bullshit. And all of them I've watched as adults tell my dad he was right, and he's like, I know I was right. He doesn't even hide it. He's like, yeah, no shit. I told hey, you I, what was going I, to happen. Can I throw out something? Um, this is an hour and 16, and you and I talked for like an hour and 15 on your show. I just enjoy talking <laughs> with you, man. I, I'm 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 very happy that we met. I enjoy our friendship, and I'm going to throw an offer out that um, I do a live stream now. I'm on my third live stream, and I'm going to throw out to have you be a guest because okay. I think your breadth of different things that you've been exposed to could add. My goal with the live stream is to bring on two guests for like an hour and a half, and okay. just kind of a no holds bar, just go down roads, open up doors, no agenda. And, um, the last, the first one I had was two hours and I had four guests and that was, it was f- so much fun. Matter of fact, when I got yeah. done, I told my boys, that was one of the most fun nights of my life. And then the second one I did, I had two guests I had Antarctic Mike on and Brian wall. And that was last Thursday. And that was just freaking awesome. And I got my next one planned for next Thursday, but I'm looking for always teeing up down the road, but I want to just throw an invitation out to have you as Let's a guest it. on my, on my live stream. Um, I love, I love having conversation and, and we've got a good flow and you're easy um, to talk to. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. I, I try not to be, I also, I, I'm also aware I can sound like a pretentious douchebag when I'm thinking, um, because I'm trying to, I, I actively try to work through problems out loud. Like I'll yeah. argue with myself. My wife's like, okay, what are you arguing about now? Cause she <laughs> like, I, like I talk with my hands a lot. And yeah. we'll be driving and she's like taking a nap and she looks over and I'm having a full conversation with myself. <laughs> I and, do. And she's well, like, well, what are you talking, what are you arguing with yourself about now? And I'm like, well, you know, would it be better to do X or, you know, Y? And like, I'm playing, um, you know, I'm playing. Who are you talking you know, to? You know, are you on your phone? <laughs> no, I'm talking to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I just, I want, I want to work through problems. I love discourse. I love conversation. I love, and again, if, if I can say something, because I know it's happened to me a million times listening to others, but if I can say something that triggers somebody to think about something they haven't thought about and maybe solve that problem, that's like, that's awesome. Well, listen, I've enjoyed this thoroughly. Um, few few seconds, few minutes. However, do you want to take? How do people? How do people find you? How do they? How do they um, like subscribe? You know, what 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 can they do to support what you're doing? Your millennial manhood cause mm, that you're okay. On? Millennial Manhood, uh, anywhere you get podcasts, literally anywhere, Millennial Manhood. You can also go to manhoodpod.com. All the episodes are on there. You can check me out on LinkedIn. Just I'm sure my name will be in the description. 
um, for this podcast. So if you look, just look me up, I'm in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm a, uh, you'll see me. I'm an employee benefits broker, consultant, um, ASAP Yavi. So ASAP underscore J O V I on Instagram. And, uh, I mean, that's basically it. Like I'm always willing to talk to folks and connect with folks and, um, whether it's on a podcast standpoint, a business standpoint, or just want to chat. I mean, go, go to town, reach out. I'm, I'm an open book. Well, I know our paths will cross many times now that this door has been cracked open. I thoroughly enjoyed this. So, um, so Yavitsa, thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Uh, you coming on today and your time that you've taken. And, um, I tell people at the end of every episode to live undeterred, but I think for you, it just comes naturally. So, I appreciate. I am, I, I am going to tell you to keep living undeterred. Go see your family. Enjoy your, your weekend. Have a great Memorial Day. And uh, again, thanks a lot. And um, anybody that would like to support my cause, I, I'm to remind you from my producer, Molly Nordlocken, to subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's probably the biggest thing you can do. Go to livingundeterred.com. That's the website. Go to YouTube. Just put in Living Undeterred. And um, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all the normal platforms uh, we are on now. And um, uh, support us, like us, rate us, share it. And together, um, Yavitsa and I can, can uh, try to see if we can, in, in the middle of trying to help each other, we can help others. And um, that's, that's, what, that's what we're setting out to do. So again, with that, I want to end the show. And uh, thank you very much for your time. Have a great weekend. And... Um, Live undeterred.